I would urge you, as you hear the prompting of the Spirit of God, even when it seems a little odd, and sometimes he asks us to do things that are a bit odd, it's good to make those things right to do them at the time, not think, oh yeah, I need to do that. You don't want to live life with regret. Regret is something that paralyzes your future because it turns your eyes to the past. So take that as a great teaching this morning. We'll all go have pizza. So everybody have your notes. If you have a Bible and you want to open to the two main texts that I'm going to use this morning, uh, begin in Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22, and that's where I'll start, but if you want to be ready to where I'm going, it's John chapter 2 is the second one, so put your stringy dealy in John 2. You know what I'm referring to, right? The stringy dealy, put, put that in John 2, we'll start in Genesis 22. Two stories of some very interesting ways that God meets people at the point of their need. So, how many need something to be provided for you? All right. What kind of things do we need provision for? And nobody gets to use the word everything because that's my line and it's my third point. So... (laughs) What do we need? Food. Food. Shelter. Food, shelter. Yeah, let's go down the the three food groups. Pizza, tacos, (laughs) clothing, yeah. Love. Absolutely. What did you say? Restoration. Restoration. Absolutely. Wow. I wish I had a $10 bill to give out. That's a good answer. (laughs) Would you agree we all need healing? Even if physically we're okay? Yeah. How many need grace? Yeah. (laughs) We all need that. Um, I'd like you to think about a time when you lacked something. And usually when I ask this question, people immediately go to money because it's a, it's a lack that when it's lacking, it kind of impacts how you view the world. The whole world stinks and everything's bad. and You know what I'm saying. But uh, can you think of a time when lack impacted your life or it altered your decision? I shared one a couple of weeks ago about the time the offering plate was coming by, and I said, Lord, can't we tithe to our own ministry instead of this one? And I nearly let lack make a decision that would have cut off the flow of God's provision and grace that opened that day because we were obedient to what God said. 
but lack nearly changed our mind, okay? Or mine, it didn't change hers. She said, just drop it in there and shut up. So it's all good. Well, I can remember a time when I was going to interview for a job, and I was just so, so nervous and just so, you know, uneasy about it. And as I was praying, God gave me the verse, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and if he hears us, we know that we have the petitions that he, we desire of him. Mm -hmm. And oh my goodness, that gave me such confidence, because I, I was lacking in that confidence. Right. And I went into that interview with such confidence, and I didn't get the job. But God gave me a better one later. So, right. you know, you just... When you do, you know, you're lacking, he gives you what you need at the time, but then you just also have to remember that we need to trust him to give us what's best and not necessarily what we want. Right. Good. What we think we want. Good. That's excellent. So that's a negative. Nobody wants to share on that one. But can you remember a time that God unexpectedly provided for you in a way that you did not anticipate? And how did you feel when that happened? Good. Yeah, sometimes God doesn't get the memo on some of those things. So. <laughs> yeah. I think back to when I was, um, my dad died when I was 17. He was my world. And so immediately, uh, within a few months, I went off to college in Oklahoma, 1,900 miles away. Did not know a person in the state, let alone the school. And I can remember the feeling of that well, it was the second Thursday of November that you had to pay the second half of tuition. My United Bank balance was under 20 bucks, and the bill was whatever it was. But you got to remember, I was in college. Dinosaurs were still roaming Oklahoma, creating the oil reserves back then. <laughs> and uh, that's funny for some of you that didn't know I'm joking. Um, and I think I had a three or four hundred dollar tuition bill, which I wish my kids they were sort of nineteen hundred a month, but that's another story. And I remember thinking, okay, at four o'clock if you don't pay, you're you're out. And I went after chapel that day. I went into the school post office and opened my box, and there was a letter from my aunt. And I was praying, and the Lord impressed me to send this to you. I had 20 cents left over, but I paid my bill. And as a young person, I realized very quickly that if God was going to guide me, he would provide for me. Yes. Yeah. Anyone else? All right. If you open your notes, the first and main point that I want to hit today is one of God's greatest promises is that he is our provider. 
God is our provider. Sometimes we think we're our provider. I'm kind of, uh, I I hate being reliant on others. Is that okay if I'm honest about that? Do you know it bothers me to pastor this church and not live like right across the street? Last night I got pictures that we had a leak in the roof and I come from a background that I had got on the roof and fixed it or found out what it was and I had to trust other people to do that and that just goes against the O'Connell grain. <laughs> Jill will tell you it's true. I just don't like to be in that place where I'm having to trust someone else to do something. But guess what God says? I want to be your provider. In fact, if I decide I'm not your provider, you will not last very long. Because he's providing in ways and in dimensions that we don't even understand or sense. And don't even know to say thank you for because we don't really know we have a need. It's just being met. Do you know his provision will always meet and will always exceed our need? So Genesis 22, that's where I first started off. There's a story. And this story is about a man named Abraham who had been waiting a long time for a promise. And when the promise came and was announced to him, he chuckled. How can I, at 99, you know, ha-ha, be a dad? Right. And uh, a year later, they named their son Laughter, Isaac. And so when you hear this thing from God, and it goes back to Genesis 17, where God said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Well, how can I be a nation without descendants? I have descendants. Oh, and they're going to be countless, and your nation is going to be the nation that blesses all the nations. And then you go five more chapters, and finally Isaac is there. And then God says, I want you to take him and go to this place that I'm going to show you. Interestingly enough, we would know it in New Testament terms as Calvary. Think about that. Go to a place I will show you and take your son, your only son, Which is an interesting thing because it kind of ignores the fact that there was someone else named Ishmael. But God is making it clear it's through Isaac that your offspring will be blessed. Take him, go to a place I'll show you, and sacrifice him there. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've been waiting for God to meet you at a place... And he gives you a promise, like in your job interview, where he asks for peace and he gives you peace. And you think, peace showed up, so this must mean. No, it just means peace showed up and you went through it. You gained something from the experience that prepped you for where your destiny was going to be. See, it's easy to look back. Just like it's easy for us to look at Genesis 22 and say, well, we know God's going to show up. In fact, it says the angel of the Lord. And anytime it says the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, you know him as Jesus. We look and say, well, it's no big deal. Go ahead, Abraham, raise the knife because Jesus is going to show up and stop you. That's because we know the ending. 
He doesn't know the ending, and it's a remarkable story as they go for three days' journey. And in that three days' journey, I don't know about you, but when I'm the guy carrying the wood, looking around, you know, every time we've gone sacrificing, we always brought something. And then when Dad says, servants, you stop here, and son... Here, here's some wood. Carry that, and I'll carry the fire and the knife. Hmm. You don't think there's doubts running in two people's lives right then? We know there is, because one asks, we have the wood. I'm carrying it. You got the little stick with the fire. And where's the sacrifice? And Abraham, in a statement of faith, who did not understand how God would provide, but knew God would provide. Did, did, you, did you hear that? He didn't know how he would provide, but he knew he would provide. And that is such a key thing for us to understand. See, I'm really good at telling God, you need to provide, and here's how you're going to do it. And he says, excuse me, I'll provide the way I choose to provide for you. And so you know the story. They got to the place. They built an altar. They put the wood. I'm sure Isaac at this point soon. He said, God, it provide. And then when your dad starts to tie you up and lay you on the altar, do you think you might have some interesting thoughts then on both sides? Like, see, the Bible isn't a recording where it tells us everything that's said, but I'm sure, uh, Dad, what are you doing might have come out. And I'm sure from Abraham, God, what are you doing? Maybe it wasn't verbalized, but I'm sure that thought would be there. And we see this knife raised, and then the angel of the Lord says, don't do it. Don't do it. And it says, Abraham looked up and he saw caught in the thicket a ram, and God had provided the sacrifice. And it's very interesting because we look at the scripture and we think, well, it proves something to God. Now I know you're really faithful. God knew he was really faithful. Who it proved to Abraham was how deep his faith was. That's who walked away with a faith that would be our heritage. The Bible teaches us that Jesus came, so why we are grafted in to the promise of Abraham? That we're children of faith. Just like Jill took the picture of our family and said, Dad, this is your legacy. We are the legacy of Abraham's faith. Isn't that fantastic? You see, his provision meets our need. In John chapter 2, oh, and by the way, he named that place Yahweh Yaira, or you might know it as Jehovah Jireh which means the Lord will provide. What a neat town to be from. Right? We also see that he exceeds what we need. In John chapter 2, there's a family affair going on. Many of us know this story. And we don't maybe understand, but this was probably Mary's sister's kid getting married. Most theologians believe that. So it was a family affair. Others believe it might have been Nathaniel, one of his disciples. In either case, we have an issue. 
the wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus said, or Jesus' mother said, they have no more wine. That's a dilemma. You'll say, well, we run out of wine, we'd go home or run out of Pepsi. Or today, if we run out of pizza, we'll go home. Right? I don't think that'll happen, but let's pretend it did. And we see in this story that this could be an embarrassment that this couple and this family would never live down. And what we don't see in this story is Mary going to Jesus. Now listen, son, I raised you for 30 years, and after your dad died when you were 12, we kept on and blah, 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 and you're going to do it. She doesn't do that. She just points it out. And then she turns to the others that are there and says, do whatever he says. And what an incredible act of faith on her part. And what an incredible act of faith on some servants who were pointed to about 180 gallons worth of pots sitting over there. And they're told, go fill those up with water. And when you're done, take them to the master of ceremonies and have him test it out before it's distributed. That's a pretty amazing act of faith, too. You know, if you go walking up to the MC of something, like let's pretend it's a, a huge gala, and you come walking up, and they go, this is going to be great. And the person dips in and says, this is water. And it's not even good water. You know, we, again, because you know the end of the story, but Mark, it was the best wine. I know that's the end of the story, but when you're on the front end of it, you don't know all of that. But what you do know is God provides. And in this case, not only does he meet the need, he exceeds it because what's he bring? He brings a wine that the master of ceremony said, wow, you know, most people wait till you're kind of tipsy and then they bring out the ripple. <laughs> I noticed we had bottles earlier today. Now we're into boxes. <laughs> and he says, but you did it different. We thought up front was okay. We thought it was good. But based on this, that was mediocre because you saved the best for last. Which there's another sermon right there, which is how God works with us, by the way. He saves the best for last. Greg Penn is enjoying the best. The beginning. What was the last yesterday is the beginning today. Right? Are you with me this morning? Yes. So he meets, exceeds, and he provides us everything. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says, And God will generously provide all you need. If you think he hasn't provided all you need, maybe your all you need is not all you need. It's maybe all you want. Thank you. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. For God is the one who promises seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and produce a great harvest of generosity in you. So let me remind you of this. God is reliable. It is his nature to provide. God is reliable. It's his nature to provide for us. In uh, Psalms 
37:25. Once I was young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. In other words, our lives, the fact that we're here, I turned 64 next Saturday, something like that. Young guy. But my life will be a testimony of the dependability, the reliability of God meeting needs. Of God meeting them naturally by giving me abilities and skills that I can earn resources, but also by meeting me supernaturally when I fall into a pool with an electric motor and he sends people to pull me out that don't know CPR. (laughs) But they do know how to form a circle and pray. And two hours after that, I wake up in hospital wondering, hmm, I wonder if I've been out two hours or two days or two years. And when you hear them outside the room saying, I wonder if he's got brain damage, which now you know your pastor, why he's the way he is. You're underwater seven minutes. This will do it to you. Some of you are looking at me funny. This is my real story at 16. I fell in a swimming pool with an electric motor. It knocked me out. I was underwater seven minutes. The people that got me out, my dad and Paul chartered, what do we do? Oh, well, it's... That's, I'm, my life is a testimony of the dependability of God to provide in natural and in supernatural ways you need to know that God is predisposed to care for you Isaiah 31 it is the Lord who provides the sun to light the day and the moon and stars to light the night and who stirs the sea into roaring waves his name is the Lord of heaven's army And this is what he says. This is a great quote. I am as likely to reject my people as I am to abolish the laws of nature. While watching my one-year-old grandson, I know gravity still works. It's a law of nature. He spends a lot of time during the day combating it. God says, I'm as likely to reject you, to abandon you, as I am to change the law of nature. We know that God doesn't change his mind. Exodus uh, 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people, I am has sent me to you. You've heard me share what that means. I am everything you need me to be at the moment you need me to be it. That's what I am that I am means. It's the be verb. Past, present, and future tense. So today, you might need him to be this in your life. Like, I might need a grace provider today. But tomorrow, I might need him to be something else in my life. And guess what? He'll show up in my life tomorrow exactly what I need him to be when I need him to be it. 1 Samuel 15 says, And he who is the glory of Israel will not lie, nor will he change his mind, for he is not human that he should change his mind. Aren't you grateful that God says, when you're my favorite, he doesn't say, tomorrow, well, I've changed my mind. That's the way humans function, and sometimes we make God like he's human. Well, I did something wrong today, so I'm out of his good graces. No, you're not. It wouldn't be grace if you had to earn it. Malachi 3.6 says, I am the Lord and I do not change. That is why my descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. In other words, he is who he is. What he says, he will do. He's dependable. He's a provider. And as we were reminded 
thank you for your testimony. You got into my point C in my little notes here. He wants us to ask. Sometimes we say, well, how come God didn't? Well, did you ask? Well, he knows what I need. Yeah, he may know what you need, but he still wants you to ask. Because in asking, you acknowledge, I can't do this myself. I need you to show up. I'm glad you ask. God is really into free will. Now, there are times that he will overrule free will, and he still does at times on this planet do that. He said, I let you have enough choices. I'm sovereignly going to make this happen. But how many times have we wondered, why didn't that happen when we forgot to just say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Matthew 6 says, when you pray, don't babble on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and 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 again. <laughs> don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Here the verse is saying, Jesus is saying, ask. Your Father already knows, but he's still waiting. You ask, okay, I'm getting, given permission to show up. So if this sermon could have a line through it, like your checkbook when you can't find the missing penny, this is it. Because the second part that I want to talk about is one of the great things that God provides is power. One of the great things he provides for us is power. And I want to share with you this morning very briefly that God is the source of power. Do you know that 531 times in the New Testament, power is mentioned? 531 times power is mentioned. God is the source of our power. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God. You'll say, well, are you talking about power that means I can walk into a room and I wave my hand and some magical thing happens? No. Sometimes God's power shows up in just having grace in a situation. Sometimes God's power shows up when you don't say what you want to say. Sometimes God's power shows up when you don't honk at that car that cut you off this morning three times. Prius. You know I'm teasing. I drive a Mirai. It's in the Prius family. Um, but, but you get my point. We, we, we need God's power to show up. You know that, that co-worker that when you see him coming towards your office, cubicle, workspace, construction site, that you wish, you say, God, make me invisible. <laughs> and by Friday you're saying, I cannot take one more day of this. You know, is anybody? Am I the only one that has real life? Nope. You know, I work for Caltrans. It's frustrating. I'm a get it done person. 
I worked for an agency that took 36 years to build the bypass of Sonora, and when they did, it came right in the middle of where town now was. And it's just, you think that bothers me at times? Yes, because I'm going to get it done. And I work with people that don't know Christ. And one of them said to me this week, Mark, you don't need to make apologies. We know who you are, and we're fine with it. Because a lot of times my illustrations come from the church world. When I'm talking, I can't help it. I got 40 years here. I got five years with the state. What do you think I'm going to tend to? Right? And one of my coworkers sees you're the real thing, and it's okay, and we accept that you're the real thing. And so when you tell us about something that happens in the church world or how you led in this world, we accept that and, and we understand it. That is pretty cool. But Jill will tell you there have been days, there have been weeks, there have been months when I said to God, what in the world is wrong with you putting me here? You're supposed to hear my cry, and I didn't cry to be here <laughs> with these idiots. When you put that, we edit that out for me. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I used to, yeah, I used to do what you do, and I at one time I actually had to have a pastor record one word so I could replace it six times. <laughs> we have that capability with audacity; it's really cool. Um, God's power shows up. Sometimes He's giving you things you don't really want. You know. I, Sometimes it's hard to hold your tongue. Oh, yes. You know, when you say something that's a great idea and then there's crickets and then you go an hour later and you come back and you say a great idea and there's crickets and an hour later you say the same great idea and then an hour later you walk into the second line person's office and the person says, I've had this idea, and they repeat everything you said, which they never acknowledge. Excuse me? That's my idea. And if anyone's going to get credit, glory, and honor, and praise for it, it's me. Huh? Yes. God is a source of power. And the kind of power he gives us is the kind of power we need in the circumstances in which we need it. It doesn't always mean a power to blow everything up. Sometimes it's the power to maintain control. Sometimes it's the power to say gracious words rather than demanding to be right because being right is your thing. Jill has a phrase, she goes, it changed my life when I gave up my right to be right. Sometimes it's just okay to just let it slide. But that takes God's power to intervene in your life. Well, I need to move on because you're not getting it. Uh, second, first, first Chronicles 29. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. That helps me to understand when I look at people in authority and I think, really? Okay, well, God put them there. It's his discretion. I don't understand. 
I have come to understand that he's working a story in someone else's life just like he's working a story in mine. Psalms 18.2 says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my savior, my God is my rock, in whom I find protection. He is my shield. This is one that you can claim. He is the power that saves me. He is the power that saves me in my place of safety. Second, we need to recognize that power is a gift. Power is a gift. I'll do a teaching here shortly on the difference between power and authority. Your authority in Jesus, authority is based on relationship. The closer you are to the source of authority, the more authority you have. But power is a gift. That will help you understand when you see somebody and say, how in the world does that godless so-and-so? And then look at how God's power works through him because power is a gift. Did you catch that? Power is a gift. Authority is relationship-based. Power is a gift. His very presence is power. First Chronicles 11, and David became more and more powerful. Why? Because the Lord of heaven's armies was with him. Not because he got smarter, not because his army got bigger, not because he was better looking. He became more and more powerful. Why? Because the Lord was with him. We know this, that his power will see us through whatever our challenge is. In Colossians 1, it says, We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power, so you will have the endurance and patience you need. That's a great truth. His power will see you through whatever it is you need to endure. We also know this fact, that his strength excels when we are weak. In 2 Corinthians 12, every time he said, this is God talking to Paul, my grace is all you need. And then he reminds him, my power works best in your weakness because now we're not competing. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. And last this morning, God's power is the key to successful living. 1 Corinthians 4 says, For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It's living by God's power. That power includes the power to live a godly life. God is working in you, giving you the desire and power to do what pleases Him. Paul wrote to the Philippians. If you can catch this truth, it makes walking with Jesus a lot easier. I grew up, I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up in a classical Pentecostal tradition. Many of you don't know what that means. It's okay. <laughs> Just means we had a lot of rules. And most of them were not in the Bible. We felt it was our calling to add where God forgot to make rules. And I, as Joe will tell you, I'm an internal rebel, but I'm a rule follower. Because I, I guess I fear consequence of breaking the rules. But it doesn't mean on the inside I'm not breaking them. Hello? And there's some things 
that if you'd have watched my life as a teenager and early 20-something, you'd say, well, there's a fine, upstanding, godly man. That's because I knew the act. What I've shared with you, I got saved every Sunday night when we had the altar calls. Like, oh, dear God, I thought these thoughts. I wanted to do this. I considered that. And, of course, Sunday night usually was a hell, do you want to go to heaven sermon. No, come to the front. And we did. And by Tuesday, whatever vows I'd made kneeling at that bench were broken. Why? Because I could not, in my own strength, measure up to a standard of perfection that God set. But what he said is, let me change your heart. And when I change your heart, I'll give you the power to live a godly life. Then suddenly it's easy. Because it's not me trying to measure up. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's the power of the Spirit of God enabling me to forgive somebody that's hard to forgive. Yes? Second Thessalonians says, So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish, this is what's great, give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Wouldn't it be neat to be prompted and then have the ability to carry out the prompting? Second Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear, timidity, but of power, love, self-control, or self-discipline, or sound mind. Any, any one of those is a fine translation. So what do we know this, then is this? Is God's a provider. And he provides everything we need for a successful life. Philippians 4.19 says, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ. A lot of times we look at that and think that's a money verse. No, it says God will supply all my needs. Second Peter 1.3 By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. And finally, in Acts chapter 1, you knew I was going there, didn't you? It's not in your notes. You get to add it. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Martos in the Greek actually means martyrs. You know, you have to have power to live your life so much for Jesus that you're willing to die. So if you can get all the way there, you can probably handle the other little things along the way, right? It says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. God's a provider. I'm grateful that we sang, he's a good, good father. I grew up with a good father. A lot of people didn't have a good father. And the picture of God is so distorted in our culture and is so twisted by the adversary to make him as a mean evil just looking for you to do something wrong so he can smack you. That's not him. He's a good father that he wants to provide and he'll give you everything you need at the moment that you need it to face whatever you're facing.
And one of his greatest provisions in your life is the power to live, the power to walk, the power to forgive, the power to be an example, the power to express grace, to express understanding when people make it really tough to do that. Father, bless your people today. Thank you for the promise of provision that we don't need to worry at night. We don't need to lay awake wondering how's it going to happen, that we can rest our head each and every night knowing that you will provide everything we need, that it's in your nature to care for your kids. I pray that you'll change our thinking. Let your word permeate our hearts and our minds so that when we face challenges, we'll say, God, I know you're going to show up and be everything I need you to be at the moment I need you to be that. Well, thank you for it. Amen. 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 Amen.